You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly podcast that shines the light on the world's biggest energy source. Solar Insiders is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, and Sophie Voroth, the editor of One Step Off the Grid. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Nextracker, delivering the most advanced solar tracking technology and the highest performing solar assets in the country. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me is the editor of One Step Off the Grid, Sophie Vorath. How are you, Sophie? I'm very well, Giles. How are you? Oh, look, just top of the world, actually. Just doing a lot of podcasts in a single day. So um, <laughs> I'm not too sure we've managed to plan this week very well at all. But um, But here we are. You might lose your voice halfway through. Well, I think I've got something stuck halfway down my throat, so I'm trying to finish my sentence before I <laughs> cough. <laughs> but look, a um, lot to talk about uh, between you and me about some of the news of the week. But first of all, one of the big themes of the Clean Energy Summit last week was um, focus on low-cost solar and Australia manufacturing solar. And um, one of the people heavily involved in this idea is... Um, Muriel Watt, um, one of the uh, you know, the great people of Australia's solar industry, and you caught up with her earlier um, earlier this week. Yes, I did. I had the the great honour of speaking to Dr. Muriel Watt, and sh- yes, she's um, one of the yeah solar leaders in Australia, which was very humbling to speak to her. But it's um, we spoke about the the recent grant that uh, the Australian Photovoltaic Institute, I'll get that out, um, APVI, got from ARENA um, to start this study into um, what it might take for Australia to set up its own solar panel supply chain, which is something that, you know, apart from it being a wonderful addition to Australia's sort of solar success story already, we've got some amazing solar research and development uh, that we can claim and we have an incredible uptake of solar but the missing piece is is making it here and it's a big 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 job (laughs) and so they've got some funding to to do a study in and which will be coming out in october okay Um, well let's have a listen to um your interview with muriel welcome to solar insiders muriel watt thanks sophie Glad to be here. It's great to have you. Um, we're going to talk today, um, hopefully about a number of things, but most we'll start with um, the funding that uh, the Australian Photovoltaic Institute or APVI has just received from ARENA to look into the opportunity Australia has to develop its own uh, solar supply chain. Um, it's called the Silicon to Solar Study. And uh, yeah, we might just kick off with you telling us what's the study about? Okay, at the uh, APVI, we've been looking at what could be done in Australia uh, for solar manufacturing, really since we started to have some supply chain issues during COVID. Um, It wasn't just face masks, it was a lot of uh, products that were coming into Australia that were caught up in shipping issues, in lockdowns, in um, price increases and so on. And we started to think that solar being such a critical technology for our transition away from fossil fuels was 
really vulnerable to future supply chain issues. Um, and so we started to look at it then and um, we got some funding from ARENA recently, but we've been actually looking at the uh, issue for the past two years, trying to see what was possible. And when we first started to look, everyone was very sceptical about Australia getting into manufacturing. I really um, didn't feel that Australia could compete and uh, were worried about labour costs and were... Uh, you know, all of the normal things that puts people off thinking about Australia as a manufacturing centre. Um, so we thought, well, we'll actually look at it a bit more carefully before just writing it off. Um, and we started to look first at uh, polysilicon, then at the ingots and wafers, then at the cells and modules. We also know that um, there's a lot of interest in the input materials such as glass and aluminium and silver and other things that Australia could produce and that are used in solar cell manufacture. But we're not in this initial study, we're not actually focusing too much on those, but we're aware that there's a lot of interest around the country in those. And now that we've started to work on it and, and started to talk to people, there's a huge amount of interest really a lot of interest yep and where's the interest coming from is it is it from existing industry players or or is it more you know new um it's it's both it's existing industry in australia that hasn't necessarily done solar before but uh is involved in other types of industry uh or minerals developments or that kinds of you know activity and also with the international photovoltaic industry who would like to come to australia uh, and thirdly from countries such as the us um, and india and even uh, europe generally who are looking to diversify their solar supply chains in the same way we are and see right. that Australia could be a source, for instance, of polysilicon, which they might find difficult to manufacture themselves. Um, and Australia is seen as, as a country that could produce uh, an alternative source of polysilicon if we can make it green. Right. That would sort of lead into my next question is, what is the particular strength Australia might have in the solar supply chain? Like, there's, is there an obvious part that is a good fit for Australia? And on the second part, you know, what's involved in, in producing polysilicon? Mm. Um, we have the resources here. Uh, the key thing we don't have uh, is, is the whole industry infrastructure. Right. Um, the support structure that has been built very very deliberately uh, in China to support a large-scale solar manufacturing industry. And we, we just will have to start from scratch on that. Look, we can build on some existing infrastructure that's there for other uh, industries, but it really needs to be seriously looked at. Uh, we haven't even really done much 
processing of minerals here at all, let no. alone, you know, taking it further down the supply chain. So we, we, we've got an advantage in that we've got land, we've got the, the minerals, um, and we've potentially got the low-cost green electricity uh, if we establish it uh, appropriately. So our feeling is we would have a competitive market edge if the product is green. Yeah. So if we use solar and wind electricity uh, as much as possible at, at least um, and, and not have a fossil fuel-based supply because then we don't have any... Uh, advantage over existing product and we certainly wouldn't have a cost advantage anyway so not mm. having a green advantage would make it difficult to supply for instance into Europe which is very strict on wanting green product only for instance. Yes um, on that subject I, I spoke to um, is it um, 1,5 uh, degrees who they're sort of setting up their own supply chain as well um, and the feeling there is that there is a growing market in in Europe and and probably the US to come and Australia yet yeah, for for solar that people can see down the supply chain and say this has been responsibly sourced responsibly made um, and they're prepared to pay a premium is the feeling that we would never be able to compete with China, you know, on, on, in terms of, you know, um, levelised cost of energy for, for, for mass solar production? Is that sort of, will we never try and compete on that front? We would always have to be a sort of different angle we come from? No, I don't think so. I think we definitely can compete on, uh, on electricity price. Um, China itself is pushing very hard to wean itself off fossil fuels in its industries. So its electricity prices have been going up anyway. Um, we know that China and now the US and potentially Europe has been providing concessional electricity rates to encourage manufacturing in the past and now in some of the new programs in the US, for instance. Um, and so we are competing with that, mm -hmm. with concessions being given by the countries, but um, in terms of being able to put out large solar farms and wind farms and have really competitively priced electricity, I don't think we're at a disadvantage. Uh, we certainly have the space that, for yep. instance, Europe, Europe doesn't have um, and the sun. <laughs> so, no, I don't think we can we, it's a specific issue that we can't resolve we just have to decide that we're going to do it how we're going to do it um, if we do electricity at site and not paying the network charges then it can the generation cost can be quite cheap in Australia you know a large portion is the network pricing um, and now Several large industries are trying to get away from that by generating behind the meter, and that's how we see a lot of this happening. At least a mix of that, uh, power purchase agreements with 
which include on-site generation as well as storage, as well as maybe some grid backup. Okay, so similar to the, the journey that the mining industry is kind of going on a bit in Australia where they're trying to, yeah, set up microgrids and yes. standalone power stations. That, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and as you say, seeing we have to sort of start from scratch, what are some of the key takeaways we can get from China, which has been so successful in, in sort of cornering this market so far? Um, you know, as you mentioned, there's been lots of government support there. What can we learn and what can we take away from how they've gone about things? I think the government support was there in terms of supporting the general strategy, you know, saying, okay, we're going to be serious about setting up a large solar industry. We're going to sort of assist in the whole supply chain in making sure the companies that wanted to invest in this area were, were provided with, a, a, it wasn't necessarily that they subsidised things so much and mm -hmm. they may have, it's, it's hard to tell, but it's, it's more that they facilitated co-location of chemical plant next to factories, ha having land available right. to do that, having supply chains for transport made, made available. It's that whole industrial infrastructure that allows a company then to make uh, a cost-effective product, but it's, it only happens if, if you can get all the bits together mm -hmm. Uh, and easily and some you know sometimes co-location is really useful for so you're not shipping chemicals across the country or the world yep. to get to your plant that kind of thing um, and electricity supply being made available and and so on so I think it's that kind of support that we'd be looking for we'd be looking for a strategy yep a solar strategy for Australia mm. um, and and with key sort of steps along the way so what we're trying to do with this study is yep. is being able to say look this is a good place to start yep and these are the steps uh we could take um with the view of to having most of the supply chain in australia over the la over the longer term but not necessarily initially okay and in Australia at the moment, we've got, you know, a few shoots of companies that are start, you know, doing some of their own stuff. So we have, um, of course, Tindo Solar, which is as close as we can get to Australian-made panels, but they're still sort of making, it's more putting the components together here in Australia rather than the supply. And we've got companies like 5B who are innovating the way that they're trying to get lower cost um prefabricated solar into the market in, in Australian design that's been very successful and um, they're looking at manufacturing that kind of thing here too. What are some of the easy gets that Australia could have, um, you know, is, is there sort of um, mounting structures and that kind of thing that you're looking at too or are you really on the panel panels and the, the solar panel components? Um, first to say both Tinder and 5B are supporting this study, oh, which, is, which is great. Uh, and the launch was actually at 5B's factory last week. Um, so they're very interested yep. in, in having the 
the base, base industry set up here so that they can then build on it. Mm. What we would like to look, what we're looking at in this instance is how can we set up a baseline of manufacturing and which bits makes make sense to do here mm. in the short term? And then how do those companies, um, you know, benefit from that? What would they, what would they need? How would they interact with? Once there is a base industry here, mm-hmm. they can then, you know, buy their cells, for instance, Kindo, buy their cells locally, so would 5B. Um, and then we've, you know, we already have interest from people who make uh, frames, people who make, who, who want to make frames, yeah. want to make glass, want to, and they would then springboard off of having a base industry here. It's very hard for them to do that yeah. when there's nothing here. Mm. So we need to establish something and then all the new technologies and new ideas will be able to bounce off that and, and start to develop off that much more easily than they currently can because each time they're having to uh, work with international um, suppliers and go up and down between Australia and other countries trying to get bits and pieces. And, you know, the more that's here, the easier it is. And they're really excited about that opportunity as well. Yes, I imagine, um, you know, because Australia's got so many solar success stories, including in, uh, incredible um, achievements we made in the research and development side. And then, of course, the uptake that we've had. So it's really a missing piece of the puzzle, isn't it, um, for us? Yeah, well, we started with manufacturing. You know, we were manufacturing till about a decade ago, <laughs> um, but we couldn't keep up with the sort of mega expansion that was supported in China. And mm. they've done a brilliant job. Let's face it, the world owes them mm. a, a, a debt. We can go solar because of the developments that they have made and the technology and the cost reduction. Um, so now we would be... Yes, we've got technology experts in Australia, but we need their manufacturing expertise now uh, to come back here. So uh, we've helped them and uh, we hope they'll help us. Yes. And I think, you know, as you said before, it's it's in everyone's interest in this region um, and in the world that we bolster the the global supply chain um, because the demand is going to be extraordinary. The demand is going to be huge and Australia, even though, you know, we have a high per capita uh, uptake of PV, um, we're a small player in terms of the size of our market compared to what the rest of the world's going to need. So we're going to be competing with big, big markets to try and get a, a bit of solar to come down to Australia. So the sooner we can get in and both supply our own and contribute to the regional demand for solar um the better because there's going to be lots of competition for whatever product uh, anyone can make we know that the us is backing local manufacture but they're going to use that all themselves Mm. we're not they're not going to want to send it to us they've got huge markets themselves similarly europe even if they expand their manufacturing their demand will far out uh, exceed their um, short term at least capacity to supply it so yeah. 
they're not going to have excess capacity to export to us. We're going to have to start to supply at least some of our own. And then potentially we can work with our um, region. You know, Indonesia is interested. Mm. Uh, uh, Malaysia already, you know, does some. um, Vietnam is. Vietnam, other countries. India. Mm. India is very interested in working cooperatively with Australia on developing a supply chain. So. Are there any parts of the supply chain that just don't make sense for Australia and kind of won't ever? Like any bits that sort of we can rule out? No, I don't think so. I think we could do it here. Mm. The issue is around access to technology and the manufacturing plant. Mm -hmm. For instance, China, you know, makes most of the equipment that goes into the ingot and wafer stage which is you know you, the stage between the polysilicon and the cells yeah uh, and they have the best technology in the world but they have recently said that the, the government has said that they don't want to export that technology mm. so that might make it difficult for us to okay. uh, be able to buy the equipment to make the product, yeah. you know, the, set up the factories in the first place. And I know you've just, you know, you've, <coughs> you've just got this funding and you're just embarking on, I mean, as you said, you've done you've done a lot of work in the background leading up to this point, but you're, you've only just embarked on this study. Um, is there any concept of how much you think Australia could produce you know has anyone sort of thrown out numbers of you know how many gigawatts or whatever you know of solar we might be able to produce here if if everything falls into place well I think it's more that most of these plants come in sort of cost-effective chunks if you like right there is no point setting up a small mini polysilicon plant mm. you know if you're going to do it it has to be of a scale and we're thinking that 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 scale is equivalent to about 20 gigawatts of pv a year now at the moment australia uses itself between four and five gigawatts so that's much more than we would need for our current local supply Mm. not necessarily our future local supply i think over time we'll use that but in the short term, we would then look for other countries to take that uh, extra supply. And that's where countries like India and uh, and the US yep. and Europe um, are interested in our products. Um, and at each step of the chain, there are cost-effective sizes that you would do for the same reasons. There's no point going below a certain size so if we were doing a cell line then you'd probably look at something like two gigawatts mm. so that's smaller than the output from the polysilicon line but and it's 50 percent of say what we installed last year yep. so that would supply half our local demand if we wanted to use it locally um but so, so yes, the, the, at each stage, um, module lines, again, can be smaller. Mm-hmm. As you see, the uh, Tindo line is, uh, I think, 150 kilowatts. 
um, no, megawatts, sorry. Um, so there's, there's appropriate sizes at each stage, but you can also parallel up lines so you can put in one two gigawatt line and then in a couple of years you can put in another one yep. and you parallel them up and, you know, that's what China is doing. They, they're doing much bigger plants, yeah. you know, 10, 10 20 <laughs> gigawatts, but still uh, we need to find the size that's that's the minimum that's going to give us a cost-effective product. We want solar to stay a cost-effective option. Yep. We want it to be cheap. We don't want to say that there's some kind of premium price that we want to have paid for Australian solar that's then going to put back the solar market development. Yep. We want solar to stay cheap. We just would like to make some of it here because we think we're really vulnerable mm. as the world starts to really look for solar supply and we're this tiny bit of the market and we're going to be competing really strongly. So, and we can make it here. Not all countries have the resources, the land, uh, the potential cheap electricity mm. to be able to do the whole solar supply chain, but Australia potentially can. Mm. So we're just trying to see, you know, where we start, which things make sense to do straight away and, and you know, what the long-term vision should be. Is there a time pressure? Do we feel like there's a sort of a window we have to grab now um, to get this ball rolling and to really, you know, coordinate so that we have the supply and we ha we can set this supply chain up? Um, do we feel like there's sort of a, a constraint? Um, I think the sooner the better, really. We know the market's uh, going to grow really rapidly. Um, we there's a lot of money going into the US, a lot of investment going to the US as a result of their most recent um, sort of subsidies and, and support for for the sector. So yes, we're competing with big players like that to get manufacturing here. Mm. But, so we have to be able to say to companies, look, we are a good investment opportunity as well. We've got a stable... Um, investment environment compared to a lot of other countries and if we can lock in stable electricity prices uh, and and if we can then start to develop our local um, infrastructure and skills base uh, you know we trained a lot of uh, solar engineers for china mm. we, we need them here yeah. you know we need, we need to have them here working here and we need the manufacturing expertise the people who know about running manufacturing lines we need them to come and teach australian people how to do that so there's a there's a lot of things to do and the sooner we do it the better yep. and just finally do you feel like you have a government behind you because you know that we have had heard a bit from chris bowen our federal energy minister about you know, building up local supply and in particular around solar. Um, do do you do, does the industry feel supported? Um, you know, as much as it needs to be to go on this crusade. I think if we feel that they're interested in listening, yep. um, and they're interested in the general concept, and they're shocked 
at the thought that we import almost all our sala mm. when we're talking about relying on it for you know the super hydrogen That's strategies right. and all their all their strategies that they've got and then they say well what's powering that and that's mostly solar so you know you can't have those big visions without going back and saying how are we powering all all of those visions so the the government i think is interested bowen launched our project last week and was interested to listen yep. um i don't think at this stage they have a preconceived idea of what what it is that we're going to be asking of them mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and what scale and those sorts of things that we think would be appropriate. So I think it, it's a conversation we're having with the government. Okay. Well, it all sounds very promising, Muriel, and it's just great to know that uh, people of your calibre and experience are, are, are leading this push and... Yeah, it's uh, something that we can be very proud of uh, having in Australia is all this brains trust, which is hugely <laughs> important. And um, yeah, it's a it's a great goal to to make solar in Australia um, and to add that to our our quiver of things we're going to need to get through this next period. Yeah, I think you know we're lucky that the team that. Um, we're working with, uh, you know, the best yep. people in the world. So uh, it's a good place to start and, and they really know the technology well and they understand the issues that they've, um, they've been helping countries around the world establish mm. manufacturing for the last We're two decades. Bring some of them back, hey? Yes. <laughs> right. Make it an attractive yeah. proposition for them to come back here and help us now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I, I, I can't wait to hear some updates and to see the report. Um, when do you expect the report to be completed? Um, we'll be expecting to finish in October. Um, so we'll start to, I guess, um, discuss the strategy with uh, state and federal government agencies um, as we finalise our recommendations. We want the recommendations to be things that they're interested in supporting and and the kind of strategies that they feel are appropriate for the approaches they want to take. Um, And so it's really a negotiation from now on about which things they can live with, which things they... uh, I mean, it's everything from foreign investment to allowing skilled trades into the country yep. to so yeah, there's a whole lot of non-technical things that that link into how you get a strategy like this to to work but we're really excited and think that we can do it and we want to do it there's lots of interest um there's a lot of industry that wants to do it too yep. and have big pockets so it's it's Kind of it's not that there isn't that interest, but they want to see the strategy. Yeah. They want to see the long-term strategy. They don't want to come in here and then have the government change and the whole focus yeah. disappear and, and, you know, that kind of thing. Fair enough, because we have seen that happen before in the renewable energy industry. So, yes. yes. Well, I really look forward to seeing the report and all the best with it and um, all those deep pockets that are listening, get on board. <laughs> 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 thank you so all right thanks Muriel 
Bye. And that uh, was uh, a service interview with Muriel Watt um, uh, from the APVI. Yeah, it's, look, it's fascinating stuff. One of the, um, I mean, one of the challenges, of course, is, um, as I sort of mentioned, is sort of being able to do that and cost competitive. But I guess if we're talking about kind of like the terawatts of solar that Australia might one day build, if it's going to be renewable energy superpower, then maybe that might not matter so much and, and scale is important. Um, one of the interesting things, I went to the breakfast, um, one of the breakfasts um, hosted by Arena at the Clean Energy Summit, and uh, Muriel was there, and Renata Egan from the APVI was there, um, Sundrive and 5B and Grok Ventures, and um, it was just fascinating to see. Tindo? Tindo, no, but I just, just on this panel, it was just that everyone was just incredibly young. It's kind of like the new generation of solar, oh. solar, solar people in Australia. And um, great to see. Well, it was great to see actually. I was just thinking. I was actually sort of sitting in the back of the room, just thinking it's really, really interesting. You know, we're on a we're on a new sort of trajectory, I think, and um, and people were very excited about the possibilities about taking the solar industry to the um, next phase. But um, of course, some people don't want to take solar anywhere. Um, your story, I think, is um, <laughs> we, we kind of excellent that, segue. Uh, excellent segue. Yes, yes. I mean, we talked a lot about agri agrivoltaics. You know, sort of, you know, sort of pairing sort of solar farms with sheep and crops and things like that. And um, but the New South Wales Farmers Federation um, don't want any solar farms at all. They want a moratorium. What's going on here, Sophie? Yeah. Well, I think I think what's going on is there might be a bit of uh, community renewables fatigue going on in New South Wales because um, as um, I recall it was a massive year for New South Wales with solar last year. I think New South Wales led Australia in the number of new projects that were developed and commissioned and it also hosts four out of five of Australia's biggest solar farms. You know and that's I mean in the big scheme of things that's not even that much at the moment there's going to be plenty more. But I do wonder whether perhaps, you know, there's been a bit of a history of developers not doing the diligent sort of social licence work that they need to do and then perhaps um, the state government as well. I think people are also miffed about transmission and it's all becoming sort of one big monster, you know, and I think it's as much as um, it can all sound very not in my backyard kind of, I think it's something we really need to pay attention to um, to because these people are obviously annoyed. They obviously feel like they're not being heard, um, you know, and and as developers so often say, you know, without public consent, there's no projects. So um, and we've got a lot more to build. But they also seem to be misinformed too. Um, I mean, That's I think, right. <laughs> so it, mean, it's know, a it's heady sort of, cocktail. It's a heady cocktail because, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the New South Wales Farmers Federation representative that you talked about was talking about you know, small modular reactors and things like yeah, that. Which just sort yeah, of sounds and like, putting panels on the Sydney Opera House and, you oh. know, it's it's there's a lot of lines being trotted out that we've, we know where they're coming from. They're, a lot of them are coming from uh, Barnaby Joyce, his own self. Um, he... You know, it seems to me straight from his his sheet of anti-renewable sort of lines and, and that's worrying too. And it's it's obviously, you know, he's got an agenda. Um, he's never been supportive of renewables. Um, goodness 
Only but, knows but, why. Well, goodness only knows why, <laughs> yes. But, I mean, it, look, it just seems to be getting a bit of traction at the moment. Exactly. Uh, so and, I think the problem the is, just yeah. When, just, that, when, just when we need it most. Yes. And so I think if people are a little bit annoyed, they're feeling a bit overwhelmed, transmission's been, you know, by all accounts, the handling of the transmission in New South Wales hasn't been fantastic. The engagement hasn't been fantastic in the early stages. Um, so, yeah, we've got this combination of people feeling a bit miffed and then and then people like Barnaby, you know, he knows an opportunity when he sees it to just grab it and start talking all this garbage about renewables that yeah. is well, all actually, too easy to got, wrap up. I've got to say that I was at the Clean Energy Summit last week and then the head, the CEO of one sort of very major renewable energy developer just sort of defended themselves on social license and said, oh, no, no, no. We tell them what we're doing and how it will affect them and what you know and and how their lives will change. And I'm just going, um, don't think <laughs> can that's you see a great where that's idea. going wrong? That's exactly. <laughs> and, oh dear. And you're just going, my God! After everything we've discussed, you haven't even got it over that that idea. Um, look, you know, could have been a language yeah. problem, but I don't think so. Like, you know. We'd like to consult. Ask you, is this a good idea? Would you like to go with us? Blah 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 blah. Anyway, look. On the good news, uh, we had the latest quarterly energy dynamics report from the AEMO, and once again, rooftop solar is very much centre stage, um, mainly because of its impact on the industry, on, on prices, um, hollering out demand in, in the middle of the day in particular. So basically what rooftop solar has done is despite the fact that overall demand is actually increasing, the, um, the operational demand on the grid is... Um, is shrinking thanks to rooftop solar and it just really just goes to once again the impact of having that many rooftop solar systems um, in Australia um, it is changing the system it is changing the system for the better because it is shunting out coal and as we've seen also with the um, with our new sort of switched on um, series and the switched on podcast you know we're seeing electrification now that's kind of the yep. next stage uh, you know we sort of making life diff very different for coal then we'll make like different life very different for 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 gas so um so rooftop solar just continues to 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 make its mark and um i think that's a good thing and, and the industry seems to be in 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 reasonable health yeah i mean i think everyone loves rooftop solar even uh our farmers have it <laughs> on their roofs <laughs> but um you know and, and the the um man i spoke to today he said he's had it for 16 years but i guess there's some people you know then it's been a bit tricky for the networks and for the market operator to work out how to get past this this very lumpy phase where we have the huge amount during the day and then it kind of all disappears um at night well that's right when I mean, that's why we're having sort of smart and uh, smart inverters and sort of dynamic exports and things like that but of course the coalition's come out and said that's a threat to oh, national security goodness. and the chinese will be watching you and um, learning exactly when you're switching on your kettles yeah. um and when the cloud goes over your I house i mean how uh, that's interesting information to you i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well, look, they've got a big effort and uh, put, put something out. But look, I mean, is there an issue with security um, in um, with rooftop solar rooftop solar systems? Well, the feedback that I got, I mean, speaking to inverter people, is that of course there is with anything that is internet connected, especially when it's connected to the public internet, and there's not this SCADA systems that we use for the the large scale electricity. In, and so the larger scale stuff is, is protected on its own private um, networks. But when we have internet connected inverters that, you know, you and I have, um, 
there's always the possibility someone can hack into these things. Whether they can then do that in a way that is, you know, going to control a huge amount of capacity at once, you know, that's a bit more up for discussion. I think the concern is that when we have these big amounts of solar and batteries aggregated by, say, one entity or one third party, um, that that could then be hijacked and, and maybe, you know, you do you do get um, maybe a few gigawatts suddenly taken out right when you don't expect it or, you know. So there's, there, there well, that, is that would potential. Be, but... That would be pretty shitty for the grid if you lost a couple of gigawatts of rooftop solar all in one to fill a swoop. It I've would be say. very shitty. And, and look, this is... There, the the message is yes, it's a it's a concern. Yes, we're onto it. Um, possibly need to be more onto it more quickly. But they've got a working panel. Um, all the inverter makers are part of that. A lot of the European inverter makers evidently have a lot of um, I think is it firmware that is already dealing with this kind of stuff and and minimising the risk. Um, so yeah, it's it's. A problem, but I wouldn't say it's a hugely pressing one. And I did get, I did finally get an email back from Goodwe today from China saying, um, you know, we we promise we won't spy. <laughs> so oh, well, I go. feel I feel relaxed now. <laughs> relaxed and relieved, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Um, excellent. Um, do we have anything else on the Solar Insiders podcast for this week? We do. We had so we did discuss this a while ago that um, Solar Victoria had. Um, flagged that it was going to ditch its battery rebate and switch it for a zero interest loan and it has done that now it um it was expecting to do it come july and and here we are they've announced it today and they're offering an eight thousand eight hundred interest-free loan um for battery storage and they sort of say that for say a six kilowatt hour system, you could end up not having to pay anything up front um, with that kind of a loan. So that would remove all of the sort of, you know, the, a lot of people says I would love a battery but I can't afford one. That t- it takes that away. And what they say is once you add that to solar, you're looking at saving um, one and a half thousand dollars a year on the bill. You know that you would have had without either of those technologies. So the argument is maybe you can pay it off between seven and 10 years, which isn't too bad for battery storage. It's getting down to an area where more people, I think, will consider that reasonable, particularly with the current state of of electricity prices and, 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 yeah, wanting to sort of cut costs. And, and I think just people just want to sort of shove it up to the um, to the energy yeah. retailers as well. So um, and not absolutely. be so yeah, not not sort of have it so unpredictable. Like if this is this is predictable, you've got a certain amount of payments you have to make. There's no interest. It's, you don't have to worry about the Reserve Bank constantly lifting rates, and you don't have to worry about changes in prices. So, so, so there you go. So the idea is basically you use the savings from your electricity bill and just to to make the repayments on the battery. Yeah, and it makes you around about sixty percent solar self sufficient, which is not bad. And also and that, that's to, an average. And ability to keep power on when the grid goes off if it does in yes, storms. Yes, if you've got the right things uh, like that. If you've got the right, right battery. battery. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes, make <laughs> sure you get the right them. battery. Okay. Well, look, interesting stuff. Well, look, thank you very much, Sophie. I think that's probably about all we have for this week's episode of um, Solar Insiders. Um, um, thank you very much to Muriel. Um, thanks. Um, uh, to you, Sophie, I just point out um, 
Yes, we've got another episode of Energy Insiders. They're all coming out in a big rush this week. Um, so we've got an interview with Anna, Anna Scarback from ClimateWorks. Um, and we've got a couple of fascinating interviews too on the Switched On series, uh, which is focusing on electrification. One with John Jetson sort of talking about um, some of the hassles of electrifying your home. And um, also with Craig Memory from the um, Public in Interest Advisory Centre, just looking at some of the other issues around sort of electrification and making it fair for everyone. And uh, so do have listen to those and visit that website. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of Energy Insiders in a fortnight's time. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly costs and no lock-in contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Nextracker, delivering some of the highest-performing solar assets in the country. Like a sunflower follows the sun, Nextracker's market-leading solar solutions deliver optimal return on investment for utility solar farms in Australia. Check out their flagship NX Horizon Smart Solar Tracker, their intelligent optimization software, and the industry's most advanced terrain-following solar tracking technology, NX Horizon XTR.